Well, good morning, one and all. We're glad that you're here. We're glad for those of you who are here in this nice new building we have, and uh, we're getting used to it, but I tell you what, it sure is a far cry from where we used to be in our other building, and I kind of like this one. So greetings to you that are joining us on the internet. If our background looks different, it's because we have our own nice building, and boy, it is something. Uh, our notes are available for those who are joining us on the internet, or if anybody wants extra copies, in, in the file on our church website, if you go to our church website and view documents, there you go down and click on that, and you'll get, be taken to another page where you'll have names of individuals, as well as documents, and if you go to the one with Don Hewitt and open the file, you can find in there the lesson for today, and it's entitled, uh, when, we, when Abraham Walked by Faith. Uh, th there's a copy of the notes on the back chair. If you like, there's a copy of the notes in the back chair from this morning. So if you're interested, then we do have, uh, as I say, on our church website, you can get copies of my notes, and uh, they're available, easily printed out, and, and I encourage you to go to the church website because uh, there are many articles on there by myself, by Pastor Kevin. I think Brother Courtney, we're trying to get him cranked up and getting him to doing stuff on there. Now, if we can get him to put some on there, there'll be even more good stuff available. So, uh, Did you see that bus go by you? <laughs> I'm always glad. <laughs> Now, it's, it's not that we're trying to put him on the spot or anything like that. We would never do that. No. But, but uh, please, yeah. there you go. But there is a lot of good information on our church website. And, of course, our folks here know it. And uh, anybody that's joining us later on the, on the Internet, uh, be sure to come to our church website. There's lots of stuff that you can, and you can listen to sermons of Pastor Kevin going back about uh, six or seven years. And there's some terrific material there, so... You might get a lot, of, a lot of good preaching if you just go back and, and listen to some of his sermons. Well, let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning, shall we? Father, once again, it's our privilege to be here. It's our privilege to, to join hands as believers, to have fellowship together, to be part of one body in Christ, and to realize that there are no distinctions between us. We're all one in Christ, and you see us seated in Christ at your right hand. And of course, our responsibility is to see ourselves there and to recognize all of your people are there with us, and we're all one in Christ, and to show that love we should be showing. Father, today we're thankful for our opportunity to speak, and we're thankful, too, for Brother uh, Courtney, as he will be speaking in the morning service. And we ask now that the Holy Spirit would be the teacher, and that these things would be practical. We'd ask in our Savior's wonderful name. Amen. Well, our series we've been talking about is problems we don't have when we take Scripture literally. And I've said before, and, and I think it bears uh, repeating, that about 75% of the Bible questions I've been asked in my lifetime, I can answer by using context or by taking things literally and in context. And that's the biggest challenge that there is. And I think, Pastor, you'd agree with that, is, is the questions you get are the same kinds, that they're answerable by context. Now, this series we've been doing is about problems we don't have when we take Scripture literally. Not problems we do have, problems that we don't have. And there are a lot of things that uh, maybe we take for granted that people outside our group would have a problem with. And one of them today is, is this very problem. Now, and the Christian church, I think, has always had problems taking Scripture literally, especially if it looks at great men and great women of the Bible, and especially those in the Old Testament. Now, there's, uh, there have been men that have made a great deal of their ministry around what they call character studies, going back to the Old Testament and looking at some of these people and trying to draw principles for them, out of them for us today. And the problem is, is that what they don't recognize is the Bible portrays men and women 
in their weaknesses and their failings as well as their triumphs. In other words, the Bible doesn't put on rose-colored glasses and gloss things over. It presents, it presents truth from God's point of view, and we see what humans are like. And personally, I think that's a good thing because I don't know about you, but if these people all walked on water without splashing, then I think I'd have some concerns about my Christian life because I walk on water and I do more splashing than I do walking. In fact, I don't even like to go on the water. I'm so bad at it. It just doesn't work for me. But so now, uh, you'll notice I put in my notes that uh, although the Bible does portray men and women in their weaknesses and failings as well as their triumphs, theologians and Bible teachers have long had a problem. It seems the traditional teaching about some of these worthies, especially those named in Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, are larger than life. Now, for example, the, the life of Jacob is sanitized to make him appear like he's a godly man through and through. But even a casual reading of Genesis 27 through 31 will show that Jacob was a schemer, a manipulator. He was one that used other people. And two illustrations of that are he cheated Esau out of his birthright and out of a blessing. And the story about his blessing is a fascinating story if you read it and take it literally. And so to say that these are great men and great women in every respect is not true. Now, the one thing we have to hasten to say right away is we're not trying to, the terminology that they used to say, debunk heroes. We're not trying to find people that are good and just tear them apart and just show that these good people are bad. I mean, they did that with George Washington and with, uh, they did it with Lewis and Clark. They had made a video or a movie about them where they were a bunch of smart alecks picking on each other and harassing each other when the actual history was that they were the best of friends. But the movie portrayed them in a bad light. And so that's a modern trend. And that's, we're not doing that today. I'm not here to tell you that, that any of these individuals in the Old Testament were bad people. What I am going to tell you is that the Bible tells you what they're like. And that's good and the bad of them. Now, among the people that are, whose lives have been whitewashed, no one is more misunderstood than Abraham. The traditional teaching about Abraham's life, and you'll see it in most of your study Bibles, it indicates they'll say they'll have notes and headings and footnotes on the, on the subject. The traditional view of, Ab- of Abraham in his life is that he left Ur of the Chaldees by faith to go to the land that God was going to give him. And that started in Genesis chapter 12. And so began the walk of faith. But now in the words of Hebrews 11, verse 8, now it's printed in your notes. Look at your notes. It says, in the words of Hebrews 11, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out to a place that he should afterward receive for inheritance, obeyed and went out. Now that last statement is going to be the important one, not knowing where he went. Keep that in mind because that kind of is different than what starts in his life. The starting point isn't quite the same as that. So, However, today, when scripture is taken literally, Abraham's walk of faith did not begin in Genesis chapter 12. That's the tradition. But the, the, the truth of the matter is, it did not begin in Genesis chapter 12. And so our theme this morning is that the, Abraham's walk of faith began after he was saved and given an unconditional covenant. That's a little different than tradition. Now, it wouldn't, may not be true here, but I think in some places you could, it would raise the question. People would ask, well, what difference does it make when Abraham started walking by faith as long as he did it? Well, our purpose this morning is to show when he started and also to indicate along the way why, he, why it's important to know. Why does it matter if we really know? Well, I didn't put it in your notes, but I want to start by going quickly to Ephesians chapter 5. I think there's a good reason that we should know. You say, well, I'm not going to live the life of Abraham. I'm not going to do the things Abraham did. No, of course not. I would hope that you didn't have to sacrifice your son on a mountain. 
Uh, that would not be any fun to do. That has to be the greatest act of faith anybody ever performed to go up on the mountain. But in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, why is it important to spend time on things like this and say, well, we know exactly, we can be precise about when Abraham did this. Does it really matter? Well, it does because Scripture says when it matters. And when you look at Ephesians chapter 5, there's a verse that, that is building up for walking by means of the Spirit. Where you look at verse 15, Paul says, See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, that word for circumspect is the word we get accurate from. In fact, it sounds acrobos, it sounds kind of like accurate. See that you walk accurately. And what does accurately mean? Well, this same word is also used one other place, and if you want a reference, you could look at Luke chapter 1, verse 3, where Luke says that he had perfect knowledge about the life of Christ. So he was going to write in chronological order because he had perfect knowledge, or he had accurate knowledge. So in our Christian life, anything we know about the Bible, if it's in the Bible, we should know it accurately, because it's somehow it affects our life. Because if I'm sloppy in his life of Abraham, if I'm sloppy in looking how he lived, then I'm going to continue to be sloppy throughout the Old Testament. And, you know, one of the things that bothers me a lot is that people in the church today, not this church, but people in the Christian church, have not much of an idea what the Old Testament was about. They just think it was all spiritual salvation. Boy, you have a lot, you're missing a whole lot if that's what you limit it to because, yeah, there were people saved back in the Old Testament, but the big push was about the land that they were promised, the land they were going to inherit, the land that God had given them. That's what it's about, and we need to know that accurate. So this Fills, this plays right into the fact that the people were going to get the land, and we need to know these things accurately. Now, I, I was going to put this at the end, and there is a note at the end, but I brought it up front because I think it's important to just to state right out, right, out the, the, right out of the box is that it's important to know the Bible accurately because it's recorded accurately. If it's God-breathed, shouldn't we be accurate how we handle it? That's what puzzles me is when people allegorize the Scripture and say, well, it doesn't mean exactly what it said. It means this. You're telling me that something is God-breathed, if God breathed out the words as though he himself wrote with a hand, you're going to tell me it's, it's not important to take those literally? It's not important to be accurate how we understand them? I think, it'd be, I think it's insulting to God if we allegorize and say, well, no, God didn't really mean this. I'm putting words in God's mouth. When did, when did God give me the authority? Pastor, did he give you the authority to do it? Uh, neither one of us have the authority to change what God has said, so we're not going to do that. So we're going to begin with our first major point on our outline, you'll see on, on page one, is Abraham did not leave Ur of the Chaldees by faith. Now, the traditional view is that he did, and we're going to see there's another reason why he didn't. It's he flat out he's going to say he didn't, but then there's a particular reason, biblically and theologically, why he didn't, because he wasn't saved. But we'll get to that in a moment. Now, you'll notice his walk of faith did not begin, his initial call did not begin in Genesis chapter 12. So we're going to go back to Genesis 12, and we'll, we'll spend hopefully most of our time there, and we won't be playing Bible roulette today or Bible, <laughs> or Bible speed drill or anything. We're going to stay primarily back here. Now, you'll notice what it says in Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Now, the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land I will show thee. Now, is this the initial call of Abraham? Well, here's where you, we see how important it is to look at every detail of the text of Scripture when we study it, when you read it. It says, the Lord ha had said. What does had said mean? It means it was spoken prior to this moment, prior to this time. 
So this is, in other words, this is not the initial call. He says the Lord had said to Abraham. It was prior to this. Now it's recorded at this point because Abraham does finally do something, but God had told him prior to that. So the initial call of Abraham is not Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the words may have been spoken similarly, but the point is that he didn't have the call then, and you'll notice who did get this, who, who was involved with this, because when Abraham got this call, it appears to me that he went to daddy to see what to do. Now, I'm not going to pick on Abraham, but, but I can tell you this. Abraham was still in his father's house at this point, but he was already a married man. He was an adult. Now, I know tradition in the past, sometimes families have stayed together and they've lived under the same roof, but the point is that he was a married man. If a promise came to him, it was up to him to respond to it. Would it not be fair to say? Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 11. And here's where, verse 31, here's where we get into the same old problem. Uh, I don't want to sound like a, a, uh, like a pet peeve, but chapters sometimes really hurt us in understanding of the Bible because chapter 12, it's a natural tendency to say, okay, we're beginning a new subject. Well, the Hebrew didn't have verses and they didn't have chapters, neither did the Greek. So the context really doesn't start with the beginning of the 12th chapter. It actually goes further back. Look at verse 31 of the 11th chapter. This flows right into it. And, Abra- and Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife. And they went forth from the land of the Chaldees, from Ur of the Chaldees, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Okay, now you'll notice it says, Terah took Abram his son, and they were going to go forth from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. Now, wait a second here, folks. The God's call came to Abraham, but Abraham, but we see Terah responds to it. So Abraham doesn't even respond to faith. But so what apparently happens is that he gets this call from God, and he talks to his dad and says, Hey Dad, guess what I just heard? Guess what God said to me? Now he may have been just saying it informally, or he may have been saying, Hey Dad, what do I do? But regardless of what, it, what happened, is that Abraham didn't do anything except tell his dad about it, as near as I can tell. And then we see that Abraham is not the one that responds at all. Point number two on here. Abraham didn't respond to God's call. And it, it, you notice that if anyone had faith, it was Terah. Now, I give Terah at least half credit for having faith, because at least he responded. But now you notice he did something, and, and Pastor, here would be a tempting place to go into to preach a sermon on partial obedience or on conditional obedience. Uh, you see this, and I, I confess, folks, I've been guilty. And I know you folks have never done this, but, but I have. I'm, I'm born one of Pastor's famous image. I love that image, Pastor, so I'm stealing it. But you folks may have never done this, but sometimes when I see something in Scripture I'm supposed to do, and there are things involved in it, I'll do the parts I like. I'll do the parts I like and say I'm obedient. You remember when Saul went against the Amalekites, God said to kill them all and take kill them all? Well, he killed most of the people, and he was supposed to kill all the animals. He took the best animals. So it was, you know, he did the part he liked. And so sometimes it's, you know, so Terah kind of, it's a conditional thing here. So I don't know what Terah's relationship was. There's no indication that he was a believer. But at least he did respond, and he did the part he liked. He took himself and everybody else, but he did at least respond in some fashion so I would say that I, I noticed down here, I said, Terah deserves some credit. And I was tempted to say he should get half credit for this. So, because at least he did respond, but Abraham didn't respond. Now, even though there was some kind of response, you'll notice what, we're in the bottom of page one still. 
even though Terah did respond, and Abraham went along with him, they didn't fulfill any, hardly any of the conditions at all. In fact, they really didn't fulfill any of the conditions because they did get out of the country, but we better wait on that. So they get part credit. They did leave Ur of the Chaldees, but they didn't go to Canaan, but they did go to Ur of the Chaldees. And you see down here too that uh, Terah was with, with Abraham, of course, and he was supposed to leave his father's house. Well, there's daddy's taking him. So he's not leaving his father's house, and he's bringing Lot along. And they were supposed to be going to the land of Canaan. But you'll notice in verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 31, it says something important. It says, and they came to, at the end of the verse, Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees, and came to the land, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran, and they dwelt there. Now, you might have skipped over that and not noticed it. it says they dwelt there. It's a word in the Hebrew. It means you settle down and you drive your roots in. They settled down there. That was where they stopped. Now, that, there's a problem here. We're on the top of page two. There's a problem here. Terah at once starts out, and apparently when he gets to the, to the, to, uh, the land of down here of Haran, he decides this is a pretty good place. But now, point B in the top of our page. If Abraham had been acting in faith, why would he stop the trip there? Because he was supposed to go to Canaan. Why didn't he continue on? But you see, if he did have faith, he probably would have continued on to go to Canaan. But he didn't. He stayed there. And when did he leave? Well, in verse 32 of, of Genesis 11, in the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So... Now Abraham's going to leave. Now, you know, I, I, you see in bold font here, we hesitate for a moment. Our point is not to vilify Abraham. And I repeat that because so often when people do things today, if they make historical documents and documentaries about people, be careful. Because the chances are that they're going to dig up something about that person that maybe isn't true because he might have been a great person, but they're going to have to bring in some garbage. They're going to have to bring in the dirty laundry because people got to have their dirty laundry. It was funny, uh, just as an aside, there's an author my wife has always liked to read, uh, a gentleman named Gilbert Morris. I don't know if he's still around, but he's, he was quite old. And he wrote books, and he was so popular that unsafe people were buying him. And so he got a offer from the publishing company he was with, and he refused them because they wanted to put some sexual activity in, in a book. And he didn't do that. He was a Christian. In fact, I think he was an English teacher in a Bible college. He taught uh, English grammar. And so he refused, and they turned around, and they stuck it in anyway. And so he broke, his con he broke his contract with them. And they were so concerned that, no, you couldn't write about this person. It was, it was fiction. You couldn't write about these people. They have to have their food. They have to do something smutty so people will read it. Please. <laughs> that's not the way the Bible is, and that's not what we're doing. We're not finding anything wrong. We're only going to tell you what the Bible says. So what we're saying, we're not picking on Abraham, because I will say this about Abraham. When you look at Genesis 22, when he was called to offer his son... In my opinion, that was the greatest act of faith any place in the Bible because he waited for that son all those years, 25 years he waited for that son, long after he was able to propagate and his wife had been, was never able to have children. And all of a sudden at age 90, she's now for the first time in her life able to propagate and he's restored and invigorated and he has this son and now God says, offer him on a mountain. Offer him up as a burnt offering. How easy do you think that would be to do? 
I don't think there's very many people that I've ever met in my life that would even think about doing that. I know right now, I'm going to tell you, this person here, if you, if you called upon me to offer up any of my children or my grandchildren and say, get a life, I'm not doing that. I wouldn't do it. So we're not, we're not bad-mouthing Abraham, but we are pointing out that he just didn't have faith at this point. Now, after the death of Terah, Abraham still does not respond in faith. You'll notice when you get to Genesis chapter 12, where we had just been, it's in, we go down to verse 4. After the, after the promise is recorded, it says, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken with him, and Lot went with him. Now you say, well, he responded in faith. No, wait a minute. If he responded in faith, wouldn't he have fulfilled all of those provisions, all those requirements? He had gotten out of his country because his dad died, and it's from his father's house because his dad died. So he doesn't get credit for that. He did get into the land of Canaan, give him half credit there, but he still doesn't depart from his kindred. He's got Lot with him. Interesting enough, by the way, when you come to the New Testament, at this point in time, Lot is the one that's mentioned as being righteous, not Abraham. It's really interesting. It's an interesting twist on things. If you look at Second Peter chapter 2, he was righteous. doesn't ever say Abraham was righteous. Not at that point. Abraham's going to be righteous a little bit later. Not much later, but just a little. So, now in Genesis 12.10, when Abraham comes into this land, look what happens. Now, he was supposed to come to this land, and he was supposed to stay there. It says, and there was a famine, Genesis 12, verse 10, in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there because the famine was so grievous in the land. And if you read on with the story, he did something that I, I can't understand. If you read the story that follows how he had his wife say that, oh, I'm his sister. And you wonder about that. I, the first thing I wonder is, was did Sarah really not like her husband? She went along with this thing, said, I can get rid of this loser. I can get rid of him. I don't know that that's the case. I have a hard time understanding why he did this. And you know what? He did this before he was saved, and he did this after he was saved. So he didn't, uh, he didn't show any great evidence of anything, not until Genesis chapter 22 is when we find out that he did an act of faith that could be recorded and be the greatest act of faith. But at this point, no, he doesn't. So here he goes down, and he's supposed to stay in the land. If he really believed this promise, why did he take off and go down into Egypt? Because of the famine. If he had faith and God wanted him to be in, in, this, in this land, he would have thought, God's going to take care of me. But he didn't. Shows you he didn't have faith. Now, we could say more. There's other things in here, too. But when you get to the 13th chapter, you find out that when Abraham finally does part with Lot and is finally in full, full agreement with what God said to do, he's now he's, his father's dead, so he left his father's house. He's in Canaan, so he's there. And he finally parts company with Lot. But why does he part company with Lot? Does he do it because he says, hey, uh, you know, Lot, God told me to do this thing, and I need to do this. Look at Genesis chapter 13 and verse 5. Now, this is, it begins, the, the context begins back at verse 1, where, Ab- where Abram has come back out of Egypt into, into the land. He comes back into the land. And now it says, verse 6 of, Hebrew, of Genesis 13, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdsmen of Ab- Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite then dwelt in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate yourself. I pray thee from me, if you will go to the left hand, I'll go to the right. If you depart to the right, then I'll go to the left. And then, of course, Lot picked where he wanted to go. So now when he finally does split, do you see faith in this? 
I don't see faith. I see prag- pragmatism. The, the herdsmen are fighting. So you say, okay, there's plenty of land. You go one way, I'll go the other. That's not faith. That's not faith. Now, coming up, the biggest point, and if, if you wanted to share with someone that Abraham wasn't walking by faith, there are two points that you could use, just two verses of Scripture that you could use, and this is the first one of them, and this is Abraham's own words. Because you know what Abraham says? I, God made me wonder aimlessly. Well, let's read it. Genesis chapter 20, verse 13. And it's printed in your notes. Uh, I'm, I, I do print verses in your notes occasionally when they're really important and I want to get there in a hurry, so I can cheat that way and I can get there quickly. But you, it, I, I said Abraham made a telling admission, a key point in showing that he had not been walking by faith. Now, if, this, if what he says here is true, then traditional theology, traditional teaching is wrong because what does it say? Now, Abraham is talking to Abimelech. And this was the second time Abraham had lied about his, his wife in Genesis chapter 20. And of all things, the man that's probably an unsaved man is rebuking a man who's a saved man and telling him, you brought a great sin on us. What are you trying to do, pal? And so he's explaining to him, and in the process of saying it, he, he says this, And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is the kindness that you shall show me at every place, whether we shall come. Say of me, he is my brother. Now, please notice something here. You'll notice I have highlighted, when God caused me to wander from my father's house. Oh, my goodness. There's your whole story right there. God caused me to wonder. Does that say I went in faith? If, this, if it says that, then it tells me. If I'm going to take the words of theologians and tradition where it says he went by faith, or I'm going to take the Bible where Abraham himself says, I wondered aimlessly, who do you think I'm going to believe? You know, see, here's the problem. If we take the Bible literally, look at all the things we won't have an error about. We won't have Abraham back here. We won't be trying to gloss over the things he did. Tell me, tell me Pastor, now, uh, can you think of a way that we can say what Abraham did with, with his wife when he went to Egypt and saying it was his sister? Can we find a way to make that? Can you and I find a way to make that righteous? You see, if we have to allegorize Scripture, if we don't want to take it literally, then we've got to find a way. If we say he's walking by faith, how can you make that act in, in, in Egypt, in, in Genesis 12, or in the 12th chapter, how can you make that an act of righteousness? How do you do it? If you take the Bible... Huh? I mean, excuse me, was, was that his half-sister? It, well, it, what, what he said, yeah, what it was, was he was, he had, they had the same father, but different mothers. And so he married her. So it's kind of like, it is kind of like a half. But it wasn't at that time, it wasn't, it wasn't prohibited by scripture. Well, it's, yeah, it's a half lie in part, in part, but it's also, you know, how can you justify doing this? If, if, in other words, if we're saying this man is walking by faith beginning at Genesis 12, then how can we say this guy's going to tell at least a half lie? And why would he do such a thing anyway? You know, I've been married for over 50 years to my wife, and, and uh, she might want to, once in a while wish that she could dump me by the wayside and go to somewhere else, but there's no way I would ever, ever threaten to leave her or try to b- bargain to save my own skin. And I don't think any man around in, in this room is married. I don't think any of us married men would even think about doing something that stupid. So why did he do it? How would you allegorize that to make it say, oh, he didn't really, he was a righteous man. How, how, Pastor, help me here. I'm trying to find a way to make this sound like he did something right. I can't. I can't. But so now, let's look a little bit closer at these notes. Now, I like the Hebrew language, and, I, and I'm and Saturday, we're, we're going to teach it. We've been working at teaching it. And right now, my student, Kevin, and I, 
we're going through it, we're going to go through it together. And I love the language because the Hebrew language is, is a fun language. It's a language that is built to convey emotion, and it does a beautiful job of conveying emotion. I could talk all morning about that, and Pevin will tell you that. He knows I, I beat his ears to death talking about it when we have the class on it. But so in this language, there, there, there's a form of the verb that it, it's actually, it puts the responsibility on someone. It emphasizes the responsibility. Now, for, for example, if I said, I, I went out the front door. Now, you, you would know that I intended to do it, that I was responsible. I went out the front door. But what if I said I was caused to go out the front door? Well, we don't do that in, in, in English. But because you'd say, I, I went out the front door, well, I, I'm responsible for going out the front door. But this is a form of the word that puts a special emphasis upon someone's responsibility. So what he's doing is he's not just saying, God made me wonder. No, it's God caused me... <clears throat> Excuse me, God caused me to wonder. He's emphasizing that God made him do it. And how did God make him wonder, by the way? Daddy died. But this word for that, that's, that's translated, God caused me to wonder, it is a word that has more of the idea of wondering aimlessly. Now you can see, I put it in the footnotes, you can see where it's used in a way like that where livestock gets away from somebody. Now, if somebody has livestock and they get out of the pasture or get away from them, do the, do the livestock say, okay, let's get our GPS out and see, I want to go down to Titusville? They just kind of wander off, don't they? They just wander aimlessly. And so this word really means that. So what is, what is Abraham saying here? It came to be when God caused me to wander aimlessly from my father's house. Does that sound like a walk in faith to you? Here's your answer, folks. The Bible tells you, this, I, I'm not making any of this up. Even if you don't know Hebrew and know that this is a, this is a fancy word, this is a hifil, for Brother Kevin's sake. It's a, it means that God, it's just one little word, but the way it's pointed in the Hebrew, it emphasizes, it brings an emotional thing. It is, this person made it happen. God made it happen. God caused him to wonder. If his, if his dad hadn't died... If his dad was still alive and he was still alive, they'd probably both still be in, in, in Haran staying there because Abraham didn't leave. It was the death of his father that God used that and it made him wander off aimlessly. Well, he went to Canaan, but he wandered off aimlessly, but he wasn't far away from Canaan because where he was in Haran, if you go a little bit south, he'd come into Canaan. So he was just wandering aimlessly. He had no purpose in being there. And you know, he, wasn't, had, he didn't have any purpose because when the famine came along, he left the land and went down into Egypt. So you can say, honestly... This is one verse. If you wanted to show someone, you could use this one verse. Did Abraham walk by faith in Genesis 12? You bring him right here and say, no, he did not. His own words. He was caused to wander after his father's death. So he bumbled into the land with no, nothing particular in mind. It's wandering aimlessly. He had no particular goal in mind. He was just coming, just, you know, just got in the car and hopped off and went down the road. Wound up in Titusville. Left Christmas, Oregon, or Christmas, Florida, wound up in Titusville. No plans to be there. He just kind of wound up there. That's what it, what it really amounts to. Now, point number two in the bottom of page two, and this is where we really get into the meat of things. Abraham could not walk or act in faith before he was saved. This is one of the big problems people don't account for. But you know, Romans chapter four tells us when Abraham was saved. Let's look at Romans chapter four. Keep your finger back in Genesis. We're going to be back there. But you have to see this. This is a New Testament commentary, and it almost reads word for word. And when it's translated, it reads almost exactly word for word, so there's no question what Romans chapter 4 is referring to. 
Romans chapter 4 and verse 3. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Then it goes on to say, Now to him that works, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. Well, he didn't work. It says he believed. So it says uh, Abraham was justified. How was he justified? He believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. Now where was that quoted at? Where is that referred to in the Old Testament? He says it's, it's written that way. Well, if you go up to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, and really the word of the Lord came to him in verse 4. We should read Genesis 15 verse 4. We'll start there. And the word of the Lord came unto him saying, now the word of the Lord coming unto him saying, this is a pre-incarnate appearance of the second person of the Godhead. This is Jesus Christ before his incarnation appearing to this man. He came unto him saying, this shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth and said, look now toward the heaven and tell, or if you please, number, count, count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall thy seed be. Now, I don't know if, if we can do that much anymore, but if you can go out at night and see the Milky Way and see the stars that are there and they see that Milky Whiteness, you can count, uh, I'm told, about 8,000 stars before it kind of blends into the background. So you could just see this man out there going, one, two, three, four, I don't know. Okay, I believe you. You start counting that many stars. It wouldn't take me very long to say, okay, I give up. You're right. And so, it, and you notice what it said, and he believed in the Lord. That's, now he's saved. But you see... How could this man walk by faith? Faith is something a believer has, whether it's in the Old or New Testament. How does an unsaved man walk by biblical faith and respond to God by biblical faith before he's even saved? Does that make any sense, folks? Do you see how foolish it is? If we just take the Bible literally, you know, so if, if you want to show somebody, and if you ever have a, ever, ever have a friend or somebody that, that disputes you over this and you want to show them, just give them two verses to show that, no, Abraham didn't leave in Genesis 12 by faith. It was going to be later. Just show them Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, and then show them Romans 4, 13, or 4, 3, or else Genesis 15, 6, either one. And those two verses, you can say, now you put those two verses together, and if nothing else, it tells you, it doesn't say when he started to walk by faith. It only tells you that he didn't when he didn't. He didn't start before he got saved. He couldn't. He, he, this is the thing that puzzles me is people don't take into account. The Bible says when this man was saved. How does he walk by faith before he was saved? You know, I didn't do anything by faith before I was saved. The first act of faith I had was I believed the gospel. And where did, where did I get the faith? Where did we get our faith when we believed the first time? It's not of yourself. It's not of works lest any should boast. We get from the Holy Spirit gives us the faith and then we use it. We don't have faith. No unsaved person has biblical faith. And so Abraham couldn't do this. Now I'm not picking on Abraham but I'm just trying to stand up for what the scripture says. Now if you're still in Genesis 15 you can see that Abraham wasn't walking by faith another way and this is not really in here for that reason but it's in here for a different reason but you'll notice at the top of page 3 Abraham's first act as a believer was to doubt or to question God. Now, this, this, is, this is interesting to me. I have always, uh, when I learned this in seminary, I had, I had not read the text and taken it literally. But when you read the text and take it literally, you see it. And one of my professors said this in class. And I looked and I said, Scripture says so. This is amazing. It's amazing what you learn when you read the Bible. This is why you should read the Bible. Because you read through it, you run into these things. And when you take the Bible literally, there's a lot of error that you're not going to fall prey for. 
And this idea of when Abraham, and they try to whitewash Abraham, and they do it with other believers in the Old Testament, it doesn't stand up to reason. Because you'll notice in Genesis chapter 15, it says, He believed the Lord, verse 6, and, and the Lord counted him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord who brought thee out of Ur of Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And, and he said unto the Lord, and, and he said, Lord God, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Is that what it says in verse 8? What does he say? Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Now, I put something in your notes that's important. And uh, Pastor knows, and, and Kevin and Courtney knows that there's times when you have to go to the original language to get something important. And in this particular case, whereby is not necessarily a bad translation, but literally it is by what? By what? He said by what? What does that sound like? It means he's asking for something he can grab onto. Yeah, by what? What is the, what is the thing that you're going to get? What is, what, by what? How do I know? Give me something I can hold on to is what it amounts to. Does that sound like he's believing God? God says, I brought you out. Now, this man just got saved. First thing he does, God says, I brought you out to bring you to land. Give me a token. I don't believe. I want you to give. I don't. By what? How? Why should I do it? By what? What he was doing, you can tell what he was doing by what follows in this. Now, you'll notice when he says, by what shall I know that he shall inherit? Look what God says to him. And he, that's God, said to Abram, take me an heifer of three years old, a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took all of these and divided them in the mist and laid each one piece against the other, but the birds he divided not. And then the fowls came down on the carcasses. Abram drew them away. Now, stop right there. Those pieces being divided in part. This was a covenant, a contract in the Old Testament. What a covenant really means in modern English, it's a contract. So this was a contract. Now, I've never seen a contract like this. Could you imagine signing a house mortgage and saying, if I don't keep my part of the, if I don't make my mortgage payments, I'll die. You can hang me. <coughs> That's what this meant. Two people, when these pieces were divided, two individuals, would, would, they would be burned as a sacrifice. But before they were, those two people would walk arm in arm through those, signifying, if I don't do my part of the covenant, I'm dead. So now, why did God do this? Well, Abraham said, by what? And so immediately God makes a provision for a covenant. See, God knew what he was asking for. God knew this man was asking for a written contract. He wanted a written guarantee. First thing he did was he demanded God. That's not exactly walking by faith then either, is it? No, he, he said, want, I want to see it. Put it in writing. Where's the beef? Put it in writing. I've got to have something I can hang on to. That's, that's not faith. That's not faith. Now, I'm not picking on Abraham, but I'm just telling you what Scripture says. This is what he did. Now, Abraham, it's, it's really, you'll notice point number three on here. Abraham, the fact uh, that, on top of page three, the fact that Abraham questioned God after his salvation clearly indicates Abraham had no faith prior to his salvation, and he certainly wasn't walking by faith prior to salvation, and he didn't start off walking by faith when he did get saved. So, you know, so God gives him a guarantee. Now, this covenant that he's going to give him, this is going to be the thing that makes it possible for him to fulfill what is said of him in Hebrews chapter 11. And we'll see it in a moment. But let's, let's build up to this covenant. Look at, we'll continue on reading. Now the files had come down in verse 11 and Abraham drove them away. And Abraham's probably thinking, where's, what's going on here? I, I, with the pieces are here, where is God to make this covenant? Where, where, let's, let's get through it, let's get this thing made. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell on him. Okay. Now here's where the things are going to change. Abraham is going to get a covenant. 
and he's not going to have any idea what it is. He's not going to hear it. Well, it says, first of all, you'll notice in verse 12, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. This is not a normal sleep. This is a sleep that is used later when King David came down and when Saul was chasing him and King David walked into Saul's camp, picked up Saul's pear and his water jug and walked out of camp and Saul had a same word, deep sleep on him and he didn't know that, that David was there. So this is not just a deep sleep in a normal sense. This is something a little bit unusual. It's a really deep sleep. But then it says a horror of great darkness fell upon him. So now you have this man, he's in this deep, 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 deep sleep, and he's having a nightmare. A horror of great darkness, he's having a nightmare. Now, can you imagine if you're next to somebody, and they're in a deep sleep, and you can see they're having a nightmare, and if you say to them, hey, get up and I'll give you a million dollars, do you think they're going to get up and get that? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, our, our smoke detector battery wore out this morning, and it went off, and I didn't even hear it until it went off for about 20 minutes, and then my wife came in, and then I finally woke up. I didn't even hear it. It was going off. Beep, beep, beep. Ugh. That's why you want to go up and get the smoke detector and take it down and say, let me set my sanctification aside. I want to throw this thing out and stomp all over it. And then I'll get my sanctification back later. <laughs> well, so in other words, so here this man, he's got this deep sleep and there's no, there's no way, there is no possible way that he could have heard anything that God said. Now, what does that tell us? Well, look in, in page three, right down, uh, it's just, there's no way Abraham heard these words. It's a point, now, point A underneath that. So when Abraham woke up in the morning, he saw the pieces of the animal were burnt to ashes. And therefore Abraham knew that this meant that God had made an unconditional covenant because only one person went between there. Abraham knew he didn't go. So if he didn't go between there, there's only one person that made that covenant, and there's only one person who's responsible to fulfill that covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Abraham didn't do anything. He was there having a nightmare when this whole thing happened. He didn't hear what God said. And you notice what, what, what God is going to say to him is, is pretty important here. He said uh, unto Abraham, verse 13, And he said to Abraham, Know of a surety that your seed shall be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve I will judge, and afterward they shall come out with great, with great substance. And you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried to good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, as the sun went down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking lamp and a, burning, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp passed between the pieces. And that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto your seed I have given this land. Stop right there. What did Abraham do to get the land? Is there anything that says, under your seed, I've, God says, I've given it. God, he went through the, the ratification. He went through the pieces. So here Abraham gets up the next morning. Those pieces are burned to a crisp. And God has told him these things. He has not heard a single thing that God said. Not one thing that God said. He didn't hear any of it. He's asleep. Now that changes the story. Now you understand he had no idea about the land because the land is specified in here. You'll notice that it's what is unique about the land is he tells you the, the boundaries of the land in terms from north to south is in terms of people because the Canaanites, the Canaanites, the Canaanites, this was the order they lived in from north to south. And then from east to west, he tells you this from, um, let's see, it says, well, there's the first part. It says, unto your seed I've given this river from the great river Unto the, uh, from, of the great river of Egypt unto the great river Euphrates. So the Nile to the Euphrates, east to west, that, and then north to south is in terms of the people. Now, he would have known exactly. Now, if, if he had heard that, 
Now you understand he couldn't have because what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10, it makes perfect sense. We're, gonna, we're almost done. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I want you to see this. And when you put this all together, you realize that God has done a great thing for him. Abraham had, he, doesn't, he didn't know this one. Now, maybe today in paradise he knows this, but it was spoken to him when he was in a nightmare, having, asleep having a nightmare, so it could be recorded in Scripture so that his, the seed after him could know it and so that this generations after would know that he didn't know about it. But in Hebrews chapter 11, look what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into place after he should receive for inheritance, went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, or tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of inheritance. Why? Because, that word for, I like to translate it because, that's how it should be. Because he looked for a city who has foundations, which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, wait a minute. Abraham went out. You mean he, if, if, if he had been walking by faith, if he, had, if he hadn't, if he didn't have to have this covenant, why would he be wandering about as a stranger? Why would he be looking for a city? That's not what God covenanted for him. So he, he couldn't have heard what God said, and now he walks by faith because he doesn't know where he's going. He didn't hear what God said. He didn't hear any of the circumstances. Because if he had heard the circumstances, he would have known there's no point in my worrying about it. I'm going to be dead and gone before my kids ever get this. But he didn't hear any of that. So now he's going by faith because all he knows is that God made a covenant because those animal pieces are burnt, the sacrifice has been made, and only one person went through them. So he knows that whatever it was that God did, it was done unconditionally. But he has no idea what it was. But he knows that God said, I'm going to do something for you. He asked God for a written contract, and God gave him one, but he has no idea what it is. Now you know when Abraham walked by faith. Not back in Genesis 12. He himself said he wandered aimlessly. No, he had to, it had to come to a point where God made a promise to him and said, I'm going to do something. He didn't know what it is, and Abraham's gone by faith. He knows it's there. But the funny thing is, he was looking for a city. That's what really puzzles me. I really cannot explain. I've tried to beat my head against the wall. Why is he looking for a city when God had before talked about a country? Well, the only thing I can tell you is for 100 years out of it, Abraham lived to be 175, and if you track through the Old Testament, look at the records in Genesis, he spent about 100 years living in tents and only about 75 years living in a, in, in a city. So I think after 100 years in, in a tent, I would be looking for a city too. That's the most I can think of. Is he might have been looking for that because he was tired of wandering. He wanted to go someplace and settle down. That's the only thing I can suggest, but I, I don't know that you can prove that. But you can see, if he had known, why would he be wondering? Why would this be true? How could this make sense? This, what we have in, in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, would make absolutely no sense if it all started back in Genesis 12 and he had faith and he was going where God said to go. None of it would have made sense. You see how easy it is to take Scripture literally and avoid problems? This becomes, this becomes so easy. You know, you really... Uh, I love Hebrew, but you know, you really don't even have to know any, any Hebrew to see this. And you, I love the Greek language too. I haven't taught it, but I, I like it almost, almost as much as Hebrew. But you don't have to know any Greek to see it. You just read the English text. Just let the Bible be taken literally. Let it say what it has to say. And you find out Abraham walked by faith. 
after he got a covenant from God, after he was saved. And oddly enough, he got that covenant because he doubted God. Boy, I'll tell you what, if you want to talk about something we could call grace, I think you could call that grace, Pastor. I think you could call that grace. So it matters because there's some things in the bottom of the page. But I think it matters because that's what God said. It matters because the way God said something happened is the way it happened. And if we don't take God at his word, what's wrong with us? What is wrong with us as believers? If we can't let God take, say what, exactly what he means, the problem is not God. The problem's us. Another problem that we don't have when we take scripture literally. Let's close in prayer, shall we? Father, again, we're thankful for the wonderful privilege we have of having this book in our hands. We're thankful for the fact that when we take it literally, when we just put the pieces together and the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see them, it becomes so simple and there are all kinds of problems we don't have and Father, when we look at your word and take, it, and take it exactly as it is, we walk accurately, we understand it, it helps us to be more, uh, more aware of our own lives and more accurate in how we handle scripture for ourselves. If we demand accuracy in looking at things like this about Abraham, then we also are going to be doing the same thing when it looks at uh, matters of how we live as Christians. We're also going to want to be accurate. And that's a good thing to do, Father. We should never be sloppy with your word. Father, may we never be guilty of being sloppy. May we never be guilty of taking tradition and not considering if tradition matches Scripture. Because so often, Father, the tradition of man, even in Christianity, does not match your word. And we have problems if we follow tradition. But we avoid them when we take your word literally. May we always do that. We ask now in our Savior's name. Amen.